SB is investigating why this medical helicopter crashed Tuesday in a residential neighborhood just west of Philadelphia. But what's truly remarkable is that everyone on board, including a two-month-old baby girl, survived. It was absolutely insane. I've never seen anything like this. I oh, you've never seen a helicopter crash into a church before? You've never seen that before? Nobody has. Why do people say stuff like that? What's his name, Kev? Arnie. I'll tell you something, my entire life, I've seen patterns in human behavior, and then I turn it into comedy. I've never seen anything like this. SB is investigating why this medical helicopter crashed Tuesday in a residential neighborhood just west of Philadelphia. But what's truly remarkable is that everyone on board, including a two-month-old baby girl, survived. It was absolutely insane. I've never seen anything like this. I I, I mean, I remember, I wrote a joke about this years ago. I just went on my computer and tried to find it, but I couldn't. Uh, talking about reporters would always say this. They'd go into a town where there was like a tornado. The entire town was destroyed. And they'd interview people and go, have you have you ever seen anything like this? And, and they'd say in the report, this is a this has never happened before. People, people love to say this when there's a tragedy. I've never seen anything like this. Nobody has. Or a, a shark uh, walked up on shore and bit five people. Uh, have you ever seen this before? Well, uh, it's interesting you should ask me that. I've uh, actually, uh, I have. <laughs> this is this is not the first time I've seen a shark walk up on shore and bite people. Let's do it. The mics are on. I know it. Episode forty-four. What's, What's wrong have? with? Party. Put them together and what do you got? Check that off. Got a lot to get to in this episode. We're going to discuss the Charlie Chaplin documentary where Charlie Chaplin sued Charles Applin. What? Yeah, I'll get to it. You don't worry. We're going to talk about the Richie Boys, which is on 60 Minutes. Do you know who the Richie Boys are? Well, you're going to find out. We're going to go over my tour calendar. I've got some dates coming up. That's right. That's right. I'm going, where am I going? I'm going to some interesting places. I'll be in uh, Chicago, Illinois, Schaumburg. I'll be in Oxnard, California the weekend after that. That's in January. The first week in February, I'll be uh, in Lowell, Arkansas. I'm going to Arkansas. I'm going to Ar- I remember when I was a kid, my mom would say, uh, she'd help me learn the capitals. And she'd say, uh, Arkansas's capital is Little Rock. And it was... Uh, I can saw a little rock. Instead of Arkansas, I can saw a little rock. I still remember it. My mom, my mom, who was a school teacher, she taught kindergarten, uh, was helping me learn that sort of stuff. Listen, what's wrong? There's so much going on that's wrong. I can't even begin. I was going to record yesterday. I know you're sick of hearing this stuff, but another hard drive crash. So I lost, I lost every, now thankfully I double back up and triple back up. But this had every file for what's wrong with Orny Adams up until episode 44, gone, dead, dead. I lose these all the time. Um, you know, and I've bought the most expensive drives and I've had them crash too. So uh, this is what's wrong with Orny Adams. Number one, backup. You can see I'm a, I'm a label maker, just like that hotel that made a label and put it on the microwave. I respect labels. Good to know. Anyway, crash. Bought two more yesterday. And, uh, you know, if anybody ever wants to make donations to this podcast, just send hard drives, send good ones, send, uh, uh, what is that one that I like? It's now made by SanDisk. It's, uh, well, I'll get to it in a minute, but it's, they're all metal encased. Those are the good ones. 
you know, I, I, I buy 12, 14, 14 uh, terabyte hard drives. These are several hundred dollars. So thank you for everyone on Patreon because you're helping to pay for that stuff. So I, I appreciate your support. What is it? The, um, geez, I buy them all. The Forget it. Who cares? Let's talk about what's wrong here. I was at a store and I bought this uh, bottle of water. Now it's a, listen to it. It's a, this is a bottle. This is heavy. It's only 33 ounces of water, but the bottle feels like 66 ounces. It's uh, sparkling mineral water. It's citrus blend. And it's it's from Italy. You're telling me that they lugged this from Italy? This is I should have weighed it. This is at least a pound and a half. A pound and a half. Is Italy that well known? <laughs> That's me opening it up for the Listen, this is what we import from Italy. We import your leather, your wine, your cheeses, your women. The water, leave the water in Italy. We have plenty of great water here in California. Here's California water. I've got some nice glasses. Here's some sparkling lime. I've covered the labels as if we're on a real shoot. Uh, mineral water. This this was bottled in California. Listen to that. Now, let's do a taste test. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be honest here. I'm going to try, you know what? I'll try the Italian water first. Ready? Okay, can I be honest? Tastes like sparkling water. And then look at right there, it says, look at right there, product of Italy. Okay, here's the product of California, the state I reside in. Okay. I'm going to be honest. Well, if I'm going to be honest, this does taste a little more artificial, but you get what I'm talking about. Like, we need to shop more local. The shirt I'm wearing right now in the podcast was made in Los Angeles, and the more local we shop, I mean, this is just, this is absurd. If you could feel how heavy this is, and it's made, nobody's, here's the other thing. This is why, actually why, before I was even thinking of doing a taste test, what really caught my attention was this was a dollar twenty-five. So how do you make money importing from Italy not only the water but this huge, heavy bot? I mean, this is this is a weapon if you wanted to, and then only charge a dollar twenty-five. Makes me wonder why I'm paying sixty-nine cents for this stuff, which is bottled up the street. Can somebody explain to me seriously? Does anybody understand mineral water? I mean, this is not good for the environment that we're bringing this stuff from Italy. It, you know, listen, you don't have to be the king of recycling or care that much about the planet, but you can at least buy local water. Is that asking too much? I don't think so. What do I know? What do I know? Have you noticed? Have you noticed? Bom, 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 bom. Oh, we got one viewer mail this week. Very limited viewer mail this week. Hey, Orny, bringing it down. My name is Charles McPhee. I'm a big fan of yours. Saw you in Salt Lake City of Wise Guys. I shouldn't have said his last name. All right, doesn't matter. Charles, Chase, you just got a big uh, big plug there. In 2015, amazing show. Your last episode talking about hecklers stood out to me. All right, and then he gave, gave a story about how he handled hecklers. Thanks, buddy. Sorry I gave you a name out on the air, but uh, can't hurt. People now know you're a comic. You're in Salt Lake City. I love when comics comment. Comics, comics, comics. We are a family. Comics are a family. 
Uh, here's, I have a credit card expiring. Why do credit cards have expiration dates? Why don't they just uh, roll over? Or I, I don't know. I mean, I guess you have to have an expiration date. Do you? I mean, I guess you need for security reasons, but maybe you get a new code, but even that's not going to solve the problem. The problem I'm having is I have a credit card that's expiring. And, and instead of, uh, and I know this because I've gotten at least 30 emails telling me my credit card expiration date's wrong. And you need to update it. I mean, this is the, the gym. I didn't realize how many places have my credit card. The gym has it, streaming services, phone bills, internet, online shopping, all the airlines, hotels, uh, and uh, they're all sending me emails. Hotels, your expiration date. The airlines, your expiration date. My ex-girlfriend, hey, do you know your expiration date's expiring on your credit card? Everybody's up in my wallet. How do we fix that situation? Because now I'm logging on to all these sites, the toll road, the toll road, my expiration date. I, I'm going to end up with a late fee from somebody because I didn't address my late fee situation. Hey, if you want to keep in touch, the emails what's wrong at ornyadams.com. Teamwhatswrong.com is a website that has sort of all that stuff. And uh, appreciate all the feedback. I'm at Orny Adams on Twitter, Instagram. If you want to watch the video this week, it's on patreon.com slash Orny. And Facebook is slash Orny fans. Also on TikTok, Orny Adams for real. For real. Yeah, I'm the real deal. People love this from the last episode. I'm not singing it again. Sorry, everybody. Intergalactic frozen yogurt. Frozen yogurt. I'm stopping. I'm stopping. Bump, 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 bump. All right, so what do we got over here on the computer? Uh, I yelled at the TV. People love when I yell at the TV. It's just so frustrating, these commercials. With the, where the, 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 everybody pays the same, we know it. I'm Jonathan Lawson. Another life insurance commercial. This is unbelievable. I hate this commercial. Watch how slow everybody talks. Remember the three P's. What are the three P's? That's a good question. Life insurance on a fixed budget are price, price, and price. More like pay, pay, and pay. A price that can't increase. And a price that fits your budget. I'm 54. What's my price? Hmm. Coverage for $9.95 a month. I'm 65 and take medication. Talk faster. What's my price? <laughs> also $9.95 a month. I'm seeing a pattern here. What's my price? I'm going to guess $9.95. There you go. You too. I am so sick of these commercials. Hold on. Pause this. They all do the same thing. They all... They tell you at the beginning, everybody pays the same, and then all these people act stupid like they don't know how much they pay. Like you see this in the, uh, there's a commercial for, uh, I think it's AT&T, same thing. What what do I pay? And then they say, say and then somebody else goes, well, and for me, what would I pay? And then, and, and, then, and then somebody pops out from behind a fern. What do I pay? They, 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 I'll, I think Plonk does one too. I'll play. I'll play. Here's the here's the AT and T. Oh, that's a different segment. Here's the AT and T commercial. Ready? The same same premise. Everybody's everybody's confused. Everybody wants to know: Am I getting the, New the same price get as everybody else? Deals on all smartphones. That's right. But what if I'm already a customer? Oh, no problem. Hey, Cam. Yeah. Oh. Same deal. Yeah. It's kind of our thing. Oh, it's a great deal. What if I'm new to AT and T? Cam, can. 
Poor Cam has to keep turning this thing around. But what about for the existing people. Oh, everybody's getting the same it's deal. Okay. It's not complicated. With AT&T, everyone gets our best deals on every smartphone. That unbelievable. Unbe- they're all doing the same. It drives me nuts. What do I pay? What do I? They state it very clearly. Everybody gets the same deal. And then the buffoons all have to chime in. Well, what, do I, what do I get? Same with that, that insurance. And it's, again, it's a pattern. I see a pattern. I see a pattern. And then I, and then I turn it into comedy. That's what I do. Like that tragedy thing at the beginning. I was trying to find my old notes. I, I used to do jokes about that all the time. About reporters. Reporters. Have you ever seen anything like this? Obviously, no. No, no, because people don't think they just say they just say that's why cliches are so big. I want to get into something uh, a little more serious right now, because. uh, And it doesn't it just I, I was reflective. I saw a story on 60 Minutes about the Ritchie boys. And the Ritchie Boys, uh, it's a fascinating, fascinating story. But it, it reminds me and uh, makes me think, I'm talking to everybody out there. Do you realize, I mean, I'm, I can't say this for everybody, but for most people in my life, and including myself, do you realize how lucky you are? Do you realize how fortunate you are? I live in America. I know a lot of people outside of America listen to this. And I've always been fascinated by how much we complain. Now I complain. No, I made. A, I make a living complaining. But deep down inside, I'm super grateful. And my brand is to complain about the little things, the sparkling water, uh, people saying I've never seen this, but I've never seen anything like this. Whatever it is, the patterns in commercials. This is what 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 I choose as my outlet. But you don't really ever hear me complaining about the bigger things because I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful for what I have, and I know how lucky I am. I, I live in a country. I have friends. That as long as I've known them, 10 plus years, haven't had a job. They've never had a job. They're in show business, but I don't, they're not working. But yet, they have a roof over their head. They have a car. They have food to eat every day. They have the internet. They have devices. I live in a country where you don't have to work and you can have all that. What what, what are we complaining about? Now, I understand there's people... That, you know, there's illness, there's financial, th- that's beyond that. Like, they can't afford their internet or whatever. I, I, I'm i compassionate. I understand. But for the most part, okay, I'm talking about only myself. Just me. I'm, I shouldn't complain about anything. Anything. L- listen to this. At one point, Max Lerner disguised himself as a German officer and snuck behind enemy lines leading a team of American soldiers into a German depot at night and destroying the equipment. Did you worry what might happen if you were captured? I wasn't smart enough. What do you suspect might have happened? Oh, I would have been killed. That's, he's one of the Richie boys. That's from a segment on 60 Minutes. I'm trying to find my notes here. Okay. The Richie boys... A secretive Jewish combat intelligence group on the Western Front from 1944 to 1945. They all trained at Camp Ritchie in Maryland. They they were famous, famous. I'll get to that at the end, Ritchie boys, because they all went on and had unbelievable, uh, most of them, successful lives. Uh, now, at the, in the training, uh, 
what happened was the U.S. government in the war figured out that, and I'm not that qualified to talk about this stuff, so I'm sort of struggling. Like I wrote this segment a few days ago, and I wrote a segment, uh, the Charlie Chaplin one, like a week ago. You know, it takes me a few weeks to compile this stuff, and at the time, I'm so hot on it. I should just get out and just record at the time, but instead, I, I don't, and then I sort of, I, I lose my thoughts, but these were all people that emigrated from Germany for the most part. There were some Americans, but a lot of them are the ones I'm going to highlight lived in Germany. The war was breaking out. They were sent to America. Some of them left their families behind, which were killed in concentration camps. They never saw them again. And they were sent to this new country and had to, um, you know, start over essentially. And it just makes me realize like when you hear this guy, and you hear these people talk and you hear about like victims of wars and, and things like that. It makes you realize, you know, how much you really have and how bad it can be. And you also realize how resilient human beings are. I um, am Jewish. I was raised around stories about the Holocaust. And I, I sort of always felt like it could be worse. And I was always couldn't believe that these people could survive in the, like when you think I'm, I don't want to, I can't take it anymore. What, like when my hard drive crashed. Okay. I'm losing my mind for two days. Did I lose all my information? The customer service sucks. They want you to send back a hard drive with all your information that's somewhere in there. Somebody could get it. Somebody in the eighth grade could figure it out. I can't, I don't want to send it back. This is only a few hundred dollar hard drive. Like just send me a new one. I'd be happy to send you a video of me smashing this thing with a sledgehammer I, I don't want it. I don't want it, but I don't want you to have it. So we're, we're at an impasse because they won't send me a new hard drive without me giving them the hard drive that has my information. They, they go, we can assure you that, that the drives are destroyed and that uh, they're wiped and you know, oh, bullshit. They end up in a pile in the corner of a warehouse. And when uh, this business, then I don't want to say the company's name, but uh, rhymes with B-Gate, when they go out of business, somebody's going to buy the warehouse. And in the future, all this, all this is going to be up. All my information will be available. Someone will have it. Someone will exploit it. They'll make NFTs and they'll make more money off of me than I'm making off of myself right now. And that's what I don't want. That's what's wrong with these drives. Seriously. And they fail all the time. Get a better system for your failing hard drives. Once you open local places that we can bring the hard drive to, you can look at the serial number. Okay, because that's they knew it was under warranty by the serial number. Let us go and we smash it. How about that? Instead of those places where you throw axes at a board, you let us smash our equipment that isn't working and then replace it. Here's the other thing. They won't even tell me if I'm getting a new one or a refurbished one. This is why I never call it in. I have at least one fail a year. One fail a year. Who made is that camera lopsided? Who? Whose business model is the uh, 20% fail? Let's get back to, uh, and, and again, we're very fortunate that we live the lives, most of us that we do. And I like to take time to recognize how 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 fortunate I am. And things like stories like these, the Ritchie brothers, which I sort of had heard rumors of when I was a kid, but it really wasn't a public story because it was government secrets. It was military secret, so they were closed files. But now these guys, one of them's like 104, one of them's in their 90s, and they're they're talking. They want their story to be heard. Uh, at Camp Ritchie, they did realistic training. 
They created German villages. People dressed up as Nazis and they pretended to fight the Nazis. Um, and when they went over to fight, when they stormed the beaches of Normandy, uh, and they went on the shores, they changed their dog tags. They didn't want it to say uh, Hebrew. I, th I, I would think it would say Jewish, but it would say Hebrew. They changed it because they knew if they were caught and they were Jewish, of course, they, they would be... Uh, they would be absolutely killed. Um, I'm going to play. I put together some clips here. These are audio. And uh, let's just listen to the Ritchie brothers. Okay. Let's just listen. By 1937, violence against Jews was escalating. Sensing danger, Stern's father tried to get the family out. But the Stearns could only send one of their own to the U.S. Imagine they that. chose their eldest son. Do you remember saying goodbye to your family? Yes. What do you remember from that? Handkerchiefs. I couldn't know at that point that I would never see my siblings or my parents again, nor my grandmother, and so forth and so on. Guy Stern arrived in the U.S. alone at that? age 15 settling with an uncle in St. Louis. When the Japanese bombed Pearl Harbor in 1941, Stern, by then a college student, raced to enlist. I had an immediate visceral response to that, and that was, this is my war for many reasons, personal, of course, but also this country, I was really treated well. In New York, Paul Fairbrook had a similar impulse. Now 98, Fairbrook is the former dean of the Culinary Institute of America. His Jewish family left Germany in 1933 when he was 10. Why did you want to enlist initially? Look, I'm a German Jew, and there's nothing that I wanted more is to get some revenge on Hitler, who killed my uncles and my aunts and my cousins. And there was no question in my mind, and neither of all the men in Camp Ritchie, so many of them were Jewish. We were all on the same wavelength. We were delighted to get a chance to do something for the United States. I mean, <laughs> I know this is a comedy podcast, but, you know, part of comedy is, is perspective and being grateful. I just can't imagine what these people have lived through. I can't imagine what most people have lived through. And when I watch this, I, I, what's wrong with human beings that start wars? So the United States decided to use these German Jews because they, they could go over and they could interrogate and they understood the culture of Germans. And so they were able to get things out of the Germans that they captured because they had these people that understood German people in the way they think, in a way that Americans never could. And you can hear that they, they, they were delighted. They were delighted to seek revenge against these Nazis. And if you watch this report, and there are books, and there's a documentary my parents told me about that I, I'm, I plan to watch, you can see in their face that they, they've been through something. They've been through something. Now... This is tragic. One of them was killed because he had a German accent. 
I'm going to continue the clip here. This is from 60 Minutes on the Ritchie Boys. Apart from the fighting, there were other threats confronting the Ritchie Boys. Given their foreign accents, they were in particular danger of being mistaken for the enemy by their own troops, who instituted passwords at checkpoints. What happened to one of the Ritchie Boys? At night, on the way to the latrine, he was asked for a password. He gave the name of the word password, but with a German accent. He was shot right away and he killed. Did you ever worry your accent might get you killed? Yes, uh, of course, you know. He said, yes, of course. I, I, I was afraid my accent would get me killed. I mean, they're over there. If they were captured and they were um, uncovered as being Jewish, they'd be killed immediately. And then one of them was killed by their own troops because they had an accent. They were given passwords. So if they were at a checkpoint, they would give this secret password a word or a phrase, and then they would know that they weren't an enemy. They weren't actual Germans. They were Americans fighting for, uh, for the cause, for the coalition. For the United Front. And he said, yeah. He goes, I don't sound like a, like a guy from Alabama. Of course I was afraid. It's just people live such tragic lives. And we get caught up in our little things. And, you know, part of the reason I did this podcast, or I am doing this podcast, is because I want to remind people of the little things that bother us. Let's focus. If we're going to be, we're going to be upset. I'm going to be upset. It's my, my brain is always upset or anxious about something. So why not be upset or anxious about uh, a little thing? That's, that's, that's my, uh, that's my philosophy. So, you know, and I want to show how we're all sort of the same. We're all dealing with hard drives crashing. We're all dealing with uh, confusing questions in this time. So anyway, so the Richie boys, and uh, went over there and they fought. They were courageous. They certainly saved lives. And they, were, they understood the psychology and the mentality of the German people. That's why they were sent over. They were able to glean information from, from Germans or understand the situation. Like they, they would create pamphlets and hand them out. And they were written in a way that the German people would relate to. That if they had been written by the American people, they wouldn't have related to it in, in such a sense. And when the war was over, they continued to work for for America, they actually went on to hunt Nazis, to, much to their delight. So let's continue with this clip here. This is from 60 Minutes on the Ritchie Boys. Okay. Did you enjoy hunting Nazis? Did it give you any satisfaction? It gave me a great deal of satisfaction. Enjoy is perhaps not the right word, but it gave me a great deal of satisfaction. Why specifically? Because I remembered my parents. My father was 49 years old, my mother was 48, and they left everything they had built up behind and arrived in the United States penniless. And you were able to... Yeah, I mean, it's just... And you hear these stories, and I, I've met survivors of the Holocaust. It's it's un, it's it's unbelievable. And if you're ever in a city where there's a Holocaust museum, Go. Go, you'll you'll be moved. But I mean, I didn't want this to be like a downer podcast. But I just sort of like I want to bring interesting things, and these are the things that I watch. I find interesting, and you know, I was also raised to understand that the Jews in the Holocaust told jokes. They made fun of each other's appearances. They they made fun of the guards. They put on comedy shows. So you know, comedy is always part of us, and. 
and it's okay to laugh in these times. We're going through some shitty times. I know people have lost loved ones to COVID and lost ones to lost loved ones to cancer and have lost money or gotten broken up from relationship. Whatever it is, there's always just remember, just remember that that people probably have been through worse and have gotten through it. And that that's sort of the perspective that that I feel and that I I, I wanted to bring up. I also I want to show this video clip. This is. This is one of the guys. I think it's Guy. I think his name is Guy. No, it isn't Guy. This guy, who isn't Guy. This guy who isn't Guy. The 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 stillness in his face when he tells his story. How his his eyes don't move. And I'll have the video up. So if you subscribe to my video, which is on Patreon.com/slash Orny, uh, I love that I'm I'm selling stuff during my Holocaust story. Uh, I'm ashamed. But the video, I'm putting up older videos on YouTube. So go to YouTube and, of course, the audio. You're listening to the audio right now. Wherever you get your podcast audio, you're listening to it. Right? Exactly. So, um, this guy, his eyes don't move. His eyebrows don't move up a little bit. Nothing in his face when he's telling this story about how he was trained to kill. Trained to kill. You can't, I don't care how good an actor you are. You could never, never mimic, mimic somebody who's been through something like this. Some Ritchie boys were recruited to go on secret missions during the war. 97-year-old Max Lerner, an Austrian Jew, fluent in German and French, served as a special agent with the counterintelligence corps, passing information to French underground resistance groups. You were trained as a spy. Yes. What were you trained to do? Wear civilian clothes, pass messages, kill. This is going behind enemy lines, and this is you're taking your life in your hands here. Well, it was a war. That's how you looked at it. It was my war, and I needed to get my own back. I wanted desperately to do something. At one- <laughs> uh It's just remarkable. And you just, you can learn so much from people that have been through something. And just, just listen. Listen. Everybody has a story. That's why I started What's Wrong with Orny Adams, too, was originally everybody has a story. And you'd see this guy. This might be a guy, although he's almost, he's 97, so you're not going to see him out and about. But you don't understand when you honk at somebody, you don't understand if they were just, and, and, and you're angry at them. You don't know if they were just diagnosed with cancer. You don't know if one of their loved ones just died. Like, like in a sense, everybody needs to chill out and think, what is that other person perhaps going through? Perhaps. This is what I've learned as I've gotten older. Believe me, I wasn't always like this. I wasn't always such a pleasant genius. <laughs> uh, totally. To- Do we need music to just lighten this up a little bit? What is this? says stopping that um okay here's some uh, just final notes on this a classified post-war report by the u.s army found that nearly 60 percent of all of the credible intelligence gathered in europe came from the richie boys i gotta be honest with you as i was reading that I, I i thought i'm reading this so well i'm so good at reading this is like perfect and as i'm thinking that i started stumbling on the words so i screwed it up my own head.
got in my head while my head was doing the right thing. I'll read it again. A classified post-war report by the U.S. Army found that nearly 60% of the credible intelligence gathered in Europe came from the Ritchie boys. Uh, as I sort of mentioned earlier, after the war, many of the Ritchie boys served as translators, interrogators, some during the Nuremberg trials. Many of them went on to successful political, scientific, and business careers. One of the most famous Ritchie boys, J.D. Salinger. J.D. Salinger. Boy, was that heavy. This is when I really should be breaking it up with my mineral water discussion. My my uh, riveting mineral water discussion. Did shows last week in Los Angeles at the Improv and the Laugh Factory. Uh, had a great time. Thank you to everybody that reached out to me. Uh, the tour continues next weekend. Next weekend, January 21, 22, 23. I've printed out my calendar. I'll be at the Schaumburg Improv right outside of uh, Chicago. Right outside of Chicago. The weekend following that, just added. Just add, This is exciting, everybody. Just added. I'll be in Oxnard, California at Levity Live. I'll be there Friday and Saturday, January 28th and 29th. I'm coming back to Oxnard. And they said, hey, wouldn't it be cool if you put together a little video where you're saying come, you're coming back to Oxnard? This is it. This is it. Here you go. Here you go. Put this up all over social. Let's sell some tickets the following weekend. February 2, 3, 4. That's uh, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. I will be in uh, Lowell, Arkansas. Could somebody tell me, a place called The Grove, could somebody tell me, please, what is Lowell, Arkansas like? Please tell me. If you want to uh, get my tour dates, go to orneyadams.com slash tour. The email for this podcast, feel free to uh, communicate what's wrong at orneyadams.com. And... uh, you know, I've, I'm on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. I'm, I'm on, now on TikTok. I'm at uh, Orny Adams for real on TikTok. And let me tell you, I'd like Orny Adams. I'd like Orny Adams, but somebody has it. It's like a dormant account. And uh, the customer service at TikTok, they might, might as well be calling to get my uh, hard drive replaced. There's no customer service. None. But one of my videos is about to hit a million views, which I think is is cool. That, to me, is super, super cool. Where's some old-school music just to sort of uh, talk over? Just, uh, let's see. You know, just to sort of... Uh, hmm. Hmm. How about something? What is that one? This Remember this guy? Um, call me Horny Adams. In uh, Nashville, remember this old drop? Horny ad Zanies. I saw horny at Zanies. Horny ad 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 Zanies. Yeah. Yeah. I'd love some new music just to sort of like, you know, you know, get me through it. Get me through it. Yellow gutless. Bass and clips, you know. This is good talking over music. I'm going to wrap it up here, guys. I'm going to talk about Charlie Chaplin documentary on Showtime. Showtime. I like show. Was it Showtime or HBO? Maybe it's Showtime. I like Showtime. They they uh, put, uh, put my special on More Than Loud. That kind of changed my career. Started getting a lot of extra bookings, a lot of private shows. 
A lot more people coming to my shows. So I'm a fan of Showtime. I am a fan of Showtime. I, I do want to talk about the Great Resignation, too, because I'm into that. I'm into the fact that a lot of people during this pandemic have realized, hey, you know what? Whatever I was doing, that's not for me anymore. I'm now into uh, uh, doing what fulfills me more, which is great. I got to—I'll I, be honest. Another thing I'm, I'm super happy about in my life is I love what I do. It brings it brings me great satisfaction doing this. Although it feels like sometimes a, a little bit of a burden, I ultimately love it and enjoy it. And you say, well, why don't you do it more? Because I, I put so much into it and I don't want to just turn the mic on and just start talking. I want to turn the mic on and have something to say. So I, I want you to know that, uh, you know, I don't know what I want you to know. Nothing. I want you to know absolutely nothing. Let's talk about Charlie Chaplin in this documentary, uh, which I thought was 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 great. I think it's called Being uh, Charlie Chaplin. Uh, and it's it's cool because... I, you know, I used to have a joke on Charlie Chaplin because I remember when I was performing at the Comedy Cellar, which I was there every single night, I was paid in food and I'd eat about $40 worth of food. They'd always have on the screen, the Charlie Chaplin. And Charlie Chaplin, uh, for those of you that don't know, was a silent movie star at the turn of the uh, century in, you know, 19... 20 or so like to know exactly what year and uh 191916 or so uh in that area and I would watch these films and uh, you know never never blew me away but can you imagine if you were seeing film for the first time it'd blow you away this guy Charlie Chaplin but he was clearly very charismatic very likable and I wrote a joke when I was sitting there at the comedy cellar every night I I'd do my show downstairs upstairs he'd eat Still one of my favorite places in the world to work. And I love when I go back to New York City and they give me spots and uh, makes me really feel like a stand-up comedian. And I'd watch those videos. And, I, and I, so I wrote a joke and said, uh, I was dating a girl and uh, I should have known it wasn't going to work out when we were watching Charlie Chaplin. And she said, uh, can you turn it up? And I think I did that in my first Tonight Show. So <clears throat> uh, Charlie Chaplin documentary. Let's see. There's a lot of controversy over whether he really started this outfit, this tramp comedy. And he was dressed up as a tramp and other people like imitated him and and, and mocked him. So I haven't listened to this audio in a few days. Let's uh, let's just let's just dive in. What is this one? Uh, Charlie Chaplin, Chaplin, tramp outfit, Chaplin, this Chaplin, that. What is what is what is this? Okay, here we go. Going to play some audio and we'll just talk it through. Let's see. Charlie Chaplin didn't like to use his voice. Well, he was a silent film star. In 1966, Chaplin was interviewed for Life magazine. It's one of the only times Chaplin has allowed a tape recorder within these walls. And the journalist asked the million-dollar question. I mean, literally a million-dollar question. That moment... When you created the tramp outfit. When did Charlie Chaplin come up with the tramp outfit? He's been asked this countless times by journalists. Chaplin responds, my version, I assure you, is the most authentic one. And also by lawyers. (laughs) 
This is great. This is in a documentary called The Real Charlie Chaplin. It's fantastic. They're showing... You're not going to believe this. The moustache. This is another guy who looks just like like Charlie Chaplin. Chaplin. Charlie Chaplin. I'm talking about myself. In the 1920s, this man releases a series of knockoff Chaplin films under the name Charles Applin. Can you believe that? What a hack. What a hack. Applin. Chaplin sues Applin. Hold on a second. Uh, Not only does he rip off Charlie Chaplin's character, he uses the name Charlie Applin. It's Chaplin, but without the CH. It's unbelievable. Firstly, Applin claims he wasn't imitating Chaplin. He was imitating Billy West, the famous Chaplin impersonator. That's right. That's right. He he claims he's not impersonating Charlie Chaplin. He's impersonating the Charlie Chaplin impersonator. He's impersonating an impersonator. Chaplin isn't Chaplin, says Applin. Applin's Chaplin is an imitation of an imitation of Chaplin. Besides, if anyone should be on trial for imitation, says Applin, it's Chaplin. Why is that? Well, why is that? Oh, here we go. This Two is a of Chaplin's Carno colleagues, Fred Kitchen and Billy Ritchie, both claim that Chaplin's tramp is an imitation of theirs. I was the first, says Ritchie, who goes on to make a living producing knockoff Chaplin films. Chaplin and Chaplin, Richie and Kitchen, are all following in the wake of a great wave of tramp comedians. I didn't know this. During the vaudeville circuit since the late 19th century. Tramp was the funny of the time. These comedians are themselves inspired by real tramps. So then they ask Chaplin, well, how did you come up with the outfit? And then he's, he has this story. Okay, here's Chaplin's version. He does a movie. It's a complete flop. And in that movie, he's actually imitating somebody else called Kitchens or something. But it's a flop. The reviews come out. Here's one. This is a silly, cheap comedian. It's a flop. Chaplin says, I was almost fired. They were going to fire me. Wardrobe department. The dress department. I had no preconceived ideas. That's actually smart. He said, I'll make everything a contradiction. Baggy trousers, tight coat, large head, small hat. I didn't even know Chaplin had a small or large head. That's that's reassuring to know that I have a large head too. Pair of old shoes. The shoes were sterlings. The trousers, fatty arbuckles, and the hat belonged to somebody's father. He stole other people's wardrobe. That's how he came up with the tramp. But it's assembled, magpie-like, from bits of other costumes. But here's a great piece of insight. Once he put this outfit on... No concept of 
The journalist asked, when you looked at yourself, what was your first reaction? This is a journalist asking, chaplain. I think later he said, once he put that outfit on, he felt so comfortable. He, he, he had no inhibitions. And that's what, I'd love to find an outfit like that for me on stage. I, I just stopped talking over myself there. But yeah, I, I've never, even what I'm wearing right now, just a generic dark blue t-shirt that I paid too much for. And then these, you know, jeans that have, uh, uh, yeah, I guess uh, stains. They came pre-stained and pre-ripped. And, uh, you know, I'm sure these are diesel or something or raw. Probably overpaid for these two. You know, I have no... You can't, that's why I tried the bandana. I was like, I'll become the bandana guy, but nothing, nothing sticks with me. But Charlie Chaplin had a distinct look, but I didn't realize that there was a lot of tramp, tramp packs out there. All the comics were doing tramp comedy. You know, and I noticed that in comedy, there were definitely trends. Like comics all started talking about the same thing. I remember when I started, everyone was talking about uh, Jerry Garcia and the Grateful Dead and how he didn't move on stage. There was a lot of toll booth jokes, obviously airplane and, you know, I get caught up in this sometimes because sometimes every commercial addresses a certain subject and everyone sees it. We're all seeing the same stuff. But I also notice mannerisms. I know the biggest, the worst thievery you can do in comedy is stealing somebody's mannerism. If I catch somebody going up on stage as uh, Orny, Orny Dams, waving the microphone around and yelling, I'm coming for you. Coming for you. In 1916, 26-year-old Charlie Chaplin was a huge star. His movies were immensely successful. His characters were instantly recognizable. And he signed a contract with uh, Mutual Film Corporation for $670,000, an annual salary. Still a lot. Open to capitalize on Chaplin's fame and popularity, other actors began copying the new iconic tramp costume and mannerisms. Billy West, a vaudeville actor, mimicked uh, Chaplin's tramp character in 24 films. But after, West moved on to other projects. The production company that financed these films had to find another Chaplin impersonator. This is, uh, this is I'm reading from an article for, from Mental Floss. So Sanford Productions shows an actor named Charles Amador in 1920. Amador starred in such and such films. Here's the kicker. Amador stopped using his name and changed his name to Char- Charlie Applin. Ch- Charlie Applin. Like if you're on a steal... Don't be so off. Don't go into a bank, steal, and then wave into the security. Hey, take your mask off and wave. Like, at least cover it up. Holy cow. So comics have always, I guess, sort of mimicked or have covered similar topics. Thievery's always gone on. But the chutzpah. Charlie Chaplin once sued an imposter named Charlie Applin. And then this lawsuit, he won created such a precedent that um and of course his defense you heard it in that that recording the, the, the applin's defense was I, i'm not impersonating charlie chaplin i'm impersonating an impersonator of charlie chaplin jesus anything ever change like we're just in a, in a cycle here that's why i tell people on stage we're just in a cycle everybody nothing's gonna change Charlie uh, Charlie Chaplin got accused by women of uh, bad behavior. He was thrown out of Hollywood for political reasons. They said he was a communist. 
He got uh, kicked out of the country for all intents and purposes, and perhaps even legally. So it's like the same shit, same stuff people deal with back in the, the 1910. We're dealing with now, 100 years later, 110 years later. Um, so uh, Chaplin conceded that other comedians wore big shoes, baggy pants, little hats, and small mustache. But the combi- but he combined those characteristics with a certain physical movement, the duck walk and the grimaces. So, you know, the... I'm not, I'm not going to do a, a Charlie Chaplin impersonation right now because his estate will sue me. Uh, I just did one on camera. Uh, Chaplin testified that the public would be misled by Armador's similar clothes and makeup, uh, stating that he received many letters from people who bought tickets to a movie thinking they were would be seeing a Chaplin film, not a movie starring a different actor. This is like when you go to buy electronics... And instead of Sony, it's uh, it's uh, Sony with a the S is a dollar sign. This Charlie Applin shenanigans, which has you know been going on forever. So then this became a precedent in a in a big case. Um, let's see, Chaplin versus Amador. So it really wasn't Chaplin versus Applin. They just say that because it sounds good. Um, establish a legal precedent that, uh, because. Uh, that because Chaplin was the first person to betray his character on film. So the legal precedent became, if you did this on film, because that's what we used to say when I was coming up in comedy, hey, that guy already did that joke on The Tonight Show. It's his joke, even if it was a similar joke. In fact, one time, uh, I had a joke very similar to Brian Regan. And I was about to do it on Letterman. And somebody came up and said, you know, Brian Regan has a similar joke. And so I reached out to Brian Regan's management. And I said, does Brian have a joke? And uh, they said, yeah, he does. And they sent me a copy of the joke. And not only was it the exact same joke, which he was doing before me, I had, hadn't heard him do it, but it was kind of obvious. Like, I, I think I, I, farmers were getting subsidies to grow crops. And even if they didn't grow crops, they were getting paid not to grow crops. And I, I thought, I can do that. And, and I, I have a farm. I live in New York City. My farm's in New York City. I'm on uh, 14th and 8th Street, right? So Brian had a similar joke. Not only did Brian take the joke to that point, he took it two points, two great points further, making it an even better joke. And I I said, tell Brian it's the exact same joke. I'll never do it again. And he, not only is the joke funnier, he took it two steps further. And Brian... Uh, Brian never forgot that I reached out to him. And that's 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 the way you do it. So the first person to do it on film or there's a precedent, the other comics should drop it because we do come up with similar things. We're all living in the same world. Uh, but it set a precedent. It set a precedent that uh, 60 years later in a similar case, singer Bette Midler successfully sued Ford Motor Company, full disclosure, shareholder, and Ford's kicking ass now. Um, shareholder of uh, Ford Motor Corp Car Company, uh, she sued uh, them for using the vocals of a Bette Midler impersonator in their car commercial. Here's here's the uh, here's the commercial. Ready? Do you wanna dance? Hold my hand. Now there's a car Tell that just asks to be driven. That song makes me want to not buy a Ford. You gotta see how old this car is. So, on a day. Oh, 
sue him because it sounds horrible. Ford should sue Midler. Midler. How do you, what Ford put out a series of uh, commercials with they wanted to use you know popular singers at the time and and the people that didn't they just impersonated. Bet, they reached out to Bette Midler. She said, oh, "I don't want to do that commercial." Then they hired one of Bette Midler's backup singers, and she did. It. I wonder how their their friendship worked out, their working relationship after that. Midler uh, brought the case to the district court where she claimed that her voice was protected from appropriation and thus sought compensation. The district court claimed that there was no legal precedent preventing the use of her voice and granted summary judgment to Ford. Ford won. Then it went to the appellate court. The appellate court ruled that the voice of someone famous as a singer is distinctive to their person and image and therefore as part of their identity. It is unlawful to imitate their voice without express consent and approval. Ford Motor Company, its advertising agency, made it. Uh, uh, so that's it. That's it. You can't rip us off. The, the appropriation of someone's mannerisms. When someone comes up with a catchphrase, when Jeff Frog says, you might be a red, you can't go, you might, you might be a Canadian or whatever. Uh, you might be. You, it's, he came up with this formula. It's his. My formula is to get up on stage and wave the microphone around, not speak on mic, and complain about nonsense, small things, ice trays that don't work, whatever it is. That's me. You can't rip me off. If you do, coming for you. What's wrong with Orny Adams, episode 44? What an episode. Not my funniest. Hey, if you're a new listener, let me know. What's wrong at OrnyAdams.com? Let me know. This episode is, uh, the audio is wherever you get your audio podcast. He's got great big eyes. This is Harley Williams. What's his name, Kev? (laughs) Uh... Thank you to Ernesto Hurtado. Thank you uh, for uh, mixing this audio and getting it up and making it sound great. The video will be up in the next few days on my Patreon. And then uh, usually a couple months later, it's up on YouTube. So you can watch this, share this, rate, go on and rate this video. Let's get this Let's get this out there. Let's get this going. Uh, and if you have any suggestions, email them to me. Uh, I appreciate it. Sorry is such a serious podcast, but you know, you got to be serious. From serious comes comedy. That's the way this uh, works. Anyway, my name's Ronnie Adams, and I thank you so much, and have a wonderful week. We'll, we'll see you for episode 45. Bum, 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 bum. Bum, 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 bum. Bum, 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 bum. I've never seen anything like it. That's how, that's how you should describe my podcast. I've never seen anything like it. Have you ever, have you ever seen, because the tragedy of this podcast, have you ever seen, I've never seen anything like it. I've never seen anything like it. Martians, we're here live where Martians have just landed on Earth and they're dining at the Cheesecake Factory. We have, we have some people that were actually in the restaurant. Sir, sir, what, what, could you tell us what you, what, uh, what you just witnessed and, uh, 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 well, first of all, I just want to say this. I've never seen anything like this.